malignancy. 
sobbed the professor to remember as best he might the syllables taken down amongst the Diapolis Eskimo. There then followed an exhaustive comparison of details, and a moment of really awed silence when both detective and scientist agreed on the virtual identity of the phrase common to two hellish rituals so many worlds of distance apart. What, in substance, both the Eskimo wizards and the Louisiana swamp priests had chanted to their kindred idols was something very like this. The word divisions being guessed at from the traditional breaks in the phrase as chanted aloud. around the group of bobbing lanterns. The 
more indescribable hoard of human abnormality than any but a sime or an egg corolla could paint. Void of clothing, this hybrid spawn were praying, bellowing, and writhing about a monstrous ring-shaped bonfire, in the center of which, revealed by occasional rifts in the curtain of flame, stood a great granite monolith some eight feet in height, on top of which, incongruous in its diminutiveness, rested the noxious carven statuette. From a wide circle of ten scaffolds, set up at regular intervals, with the flame-girt monolith as a center, hung head downward the oddly marred bodies of the helpless squatters who had disappeared. It was inside this circle that the ring of worshippers jumped and roared, the general direction of the mass motion being from left to right in endless bacchanal between the ring of bodies and the ring of fire. It may have been only imagination, and it may have been only echoes which induced one of the men, an excitable Spaniard, to fancy heard antiphonal responses to the ritual some far and unillumined spot deeper within the wood of ancient legendary and horror. This man, Joseph D. Galvez, I later met and questioned, and he proved distractingly imaginative. He indeed went so far as to hint of a faint beating of great wings, and of a glimpse of shining eyes and a mountainous white bulk beyond the remotest trees. I suppose he had been hearing too much native superstition. Actually, the horrified pause of the men was of comparatively brief duration. Duty came first, and although there must have been nearly a hundred mongrel celebrants in the throng, the police relied on their firearms and plunged determinedly into the nauseous rout. For five minutes, the resultant din and chaos were beyond description. Wild blows were struck, shots were fired, and escapes were made. But in the end, Legrasse was able to count some forty-seven sullen prisoners, whom he forced to dress in haste and fall into line between two rows of policemen. Five of the worshippers lay dead and two severely wounded ones were carried away on improvised stretchers by their fellow prisoners. The image on the monolith, of course, was carefully removed and carried back by the grass. Examined at headquarters after a trip of intense strain and weariness, the prisoners all proved to be men of a very low, mixed-blooded, and mentally apparent type. Degraded and ignorant as they were, creatures held with surprising consistency to the central idea of their loathsome faith. They worshipped, so they said, the great old ones, who lived ages before there were any men, and who came to the young world out of the sky. Those old ones were gone now, inside the earth and under the sea, but their dead bodies had told their secrets in dreams to the first men formed a cult which had never died. This was that cult, and the prisoners said it had always existed, and always would exist, 
must be told. There was a secret which even torture could not extract. Mankind was not absolutely alone among the conscious things of earth, for shapes came out of the dark to visit the faithful few. But these were not the great old ones. No man had ever seen the old ones. The carven idol was great Cthulhu, but none might say whether were precisely like him. No one could read the old writing now, but things were told by word of mouth. The chanted ritual was not the secret. That was never spoken aloud, only whispered. The chant meant only this. In his house, at Relier, dead Cthulhu waits dreaming. Only two Prisoners were found sane enough to be hanged, and the rest were committed to various institutions. All denied a part in the ritual murders, and averred that the killing had been done by black-winged ones, which had come to them from their immemorial meeting place in the haunted wood. But of those mysterious allies, no coherent account could ever be gained. What the police did extract aged mestizo named Castro, who claimed to have sailed to strange ports and talked with undying leaders of the cult in the mountains of China. Old Castro remembered bits of hideous legend that paled the speculations of theosophists and made man and the world seem recent and transient indeed. There had been eons when other things cities. Remains of them, he said, the deathless Chinaman had told him, were still to be found as Cyclopean stones on islands in the Pacific. They all died vast epochs of time before men came, but there were arts which could revive them when the stars had come round again to the right positions in the cycle of eternity. Themselves from the stars and brought their images with them. These great old ones, Castro continued, were not composed altogether of flesh and blood. They had shape, for did not this star fashioned image prove it? But that shape was not made of matter. When the stars were right, stars were wrong. They could not live. But although they no longer lived, they would never really die. They all lay in stone houses in their great city of Relier, preserved by the spells of mighty Cthulhu for a glorious resurrection when the stars and the earth might once more be ready for them. from outside must serve to liberate their bodies. The spells that preserved them intact likewise prevented them from making an initial move, and they could only lie awake in the dark and think. 
asked me my business without rising. Then I told him who I was. He displayed some interest, for my uncle had excited his curiosity in probing his strange dreams, yet had never explained the reason for the study. I did not enlarge his knowledge in this regard, but sought with some subtlety to draw him out. In a short time, I became convinced of his absolute sincerity, for he spoke of the dreams in a manner none could mistake. They, and their subconscious residuum, had influenced his art profoundly, and he showed me a morbid statue whose contours almost made me shake with the potency of its black suggestion. He could not recall having seen the original of this thing, except in his own dream past relief, but the outlines had formed themselves insensibly under his hands. It was, no doubt, the giant shape he had raved of in delirium, that he really knew nothing of the hidden cult, save from what my uncle's relentless catechism had let fall. He soon made clear, and again I strove to think of some way in which he could possibly have received the weird impressions. He talked of his dreams in a strangely poetic fashion, making me see with terrible vividness the damp cyclopean city of slimy green stone, whose geometry, he oddly said, was all wrong. Expectancy, the ceaseless, half mental calling from underground. Cthulhu Vatagen. Cthulhu Vatagen. These words had formed part of that dread ritual which told of dead Cthulhu's dream vigil in his stone vault at Relier, and I felt deeply moved despite my rational beliefs. Wilcox, I was sure, had heard of the cult in some casual way, and had soon forgotten it amidst the mass of his equally weird reading and imagining. Later, by virtue of its sheer impressiveness, it had found subconscious expression in his dreams, in the bas relief, and in the terrible statue I now beheld, so that his imposture upon my uncle had been a very innocent one was of a type, at once slightly affected, and slightly ill-mannered, which I could never like, but I was willing enough now to admit both his genius and his honesty. I took leave of him amicably, and wish him all the success his talent promises. The matter of the cult still remained to fascinate me, and at times I had visions of personal fame from researches into its origin and connections. I visited New Orleans, talked with Lacrasse and others of that old-time raiding party, saw the frightful image, and even questioned such of the mongrel prisoners as still survived. Old Castro, unfortunately, had been dead for some years. What I now heard so graphically at first hand though it was really no more than a detailed confirmation of what my uncle had written, excited me afresh. For I felt sure that I was on the track of a very real, very secret, 
should still were, and I discounted with almost inexplicable perversity the coincidence of the dream notes and odd cuttings collected by Professor 